Again, good morning. Kenneth was so excited, and we were able to share with uh, 
the grandmothers. Unfortunately, Ken's father had passed just a few weeks before. Um, and so we were ready for this baby. And uh, he was ready too because he decided February 14th his due date wasn't good enough, but he got here December 19th. <laughs> he was three pounds, seven ounces. And that was the first time that me and the Lord just had to have a good prayer service as I was riding in an ambulance to Crawford W. Long in Atlanta. And I remember um, the doctor coming in, she was beautiful. Her name was Dr. Amy Roper from Texas. And she was just a very beautiful, tall Texan. You know how those women in Texas are. And I remember my husband. Y'all just have to know my kid. He's so humble and so sweet. But he goes, wow, she's really sweet. <laughs> I said, yes, I mean, she's quite beautiful. And I said, she'll keep you entertained and you won't worry. And I, I do remember she said she was going to suffer that night. And I did go on into labor. They had tried to stop it. And, and uh, we were waiting, and I remember the silence as he, I gave birth, and we were waiting for the sound of that little cry. And I was like waiting, and it was like a little kitten when he cried, because he was so tiny. And they had done an amniocentesis, and they said, you know, he's right on that border, Miss Little. You know, these lungs may be there, they may not. Well, they were, but little fella had no body fat. So he had to stay in an incubator to maintain his body temperature so that he could gain weight and everything. But I thought, how beautiful he was, how precious. And when we could finally, after 21 days, and I'll tell you, any of y'all that know, um, some of us get toxemia, which is what happens. So you swell. I got pregnant in my nose, to be honest with you. It was like out of here. <laughs> I remember, um, you know, we have to leave him every day in Atlanta. And I was just boo-hooey and um, didn't want to leave my baby, but I knew that was what was best for him. And right down with Ponce Leon, my husband would go, the lights on, honey, at Krispy Kreme. Pull in, honey, give me a chocolate milk and a dozen. And we had those hot donuts going before we reached Snailville. <laughs> But he was trying anything to get my mind off of things. And, you know, he'd go feed the cows, and I'd be just waiting at home for him to come home so we could go see our baby. And I remember when we got to bring JT home and to be able to finally put my arms around him and to hold him and to love him and to smell him. And this was our child that God had given us. This was the most precious thing. I don't agree with, I'm not a real political person, and I don't agree with everything our president has done, but uh, Pastor Mike would talk, you never know what's the truth anymore and all. I just want to live for the Lord and I'll pray for him and then everybody else figures it out. But one of the things after there was that mass killing up north of the children, that the preacher said, I mean the preacher, <laughs> no, he's a little bit far from that, but the president, or, I got political to me too, but the president said that I, that it stuck with me is that our children are our heart outside of our body. When our children hurt, we hurt. Um, I remember Jim T. when he was about in second grade, um, he didn't get a part in the play. He was a big shot. And I remember him coming home and he was just 
so distraught. And he'd been in the bell fire and all of these things. And, and he came home and he said, no more, Mommy, no more. I said, no, what, darling? I, 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 don't want, I don't want to do any of that stuff anymore. I don't want to try out for anything else. I'm not going to do anything else. I said, why? He said, Mommy, because when you don't make it, it's my heart hurts. And I thought, his heart is broken. Mama's is 20 times worse. We love our children. They are our heart's desire. We hate when they hurt. We, we want to love them and support them. We want to, to give them all the opportunities. Well, then you learn about other children. Children that I see that nobody cares about. Children in this world that are being so abused don't care about trying to train them up. These babies aren't being fed. These babies, I mean, I see children in the summer that they've got the same diaper for the last two days. And it's just sagging. And you just look at them. We've even started carrying the diaper to change them, these sweet babies. And they haven't had a bath. And I'm like, how can this most precious gift be so mistreated? And last night, um, a young orphan, well, she's married now and everything, but when she was an orphan, um, she had, uh, her mother had uh, given birth to her, and her father was an army guy who was no longer in the picture over in Japan. And so, bless her little heart, her mother, nobody would help her mother with her. Her mother put her on a train, told her she was going to see her uncle. She didn't know she had an uncle because she didn't have an uncle. And when she got there, she would go and just sleep under carts at night and then wanting to walk the tracks back to mommy. And for three years, she just rambled and was abused. And um, everything and finally they took her in and let her work at the orphan and help with the babies and the babies um, one of the bands last night actually went into the orphan and they said there was like 40 beds across the wall when you walk in full of babies but it's silent how many of y'all have gone into one baby bed and it's like <laughs> you know it's like I'm wet I'm hungry I'm just frustrated we do that too, don't we? <laughs> I know my kids does, and he gets hungry. Thank goodness I can tell the man he can cook. And you think about that these babies were silent, and so the, the guys from the band said, Why are these babies so quiet? All of them. They said, Well, you know, they cry in the beginning, thinking someone's coming for them. They know now nobody's coming. Nobody. And they wait their turn for their changes, for their beating. And I'm like, this is the most precious gift that God can give us. And we as a world, not as just the United States, but as a world, our poor children, they never get this chance to be trained up in the spirit. They just learn to crawl, claw, and fight to get their basic necessities. And to me, um, the pain that these children go through so they only know pain. They don't know appreciation. They don't know love. I mean, you, I've seen little ones that we go up to and hug them and say, I love you. And they're looking at you like, all right, what do you want? What is this love thing all about? You know, 
Teachers today, children are coming, they're not needing just an education. They're needing love. They're not getting it at home. God, it's not just poverty, children in poverty. This is across the gamut. We have wealthy families that hire someone to take care of their children, send them to boarding school. My sweet Josh, which is my youngest child, worked in Pennsylvania, and most of the children there were Jewish and extremely wealthy families, and they stayed there the whole eight weeks. And, you know, he said, Mom, you know, I didn't realize that's a huge responsibility. Yes, it is they're looking to you, they're watching you, whatever you say, whatever you do is making an impression on you. You, right now, for that and me, are mom and daddy. And so he was in a bunkhouse with a bunch of the boys. And, you know, he said, Mom, you know, they, they are the Jewish faith. And he says, I have to be very careful. And, you know, he shared with them about prayer. And he prayed with some of them. You know, they got homesick. And some of them were just... You know, he said, Mom, they had everything. They didn't need nothing. And they let me know real quick. And um, he was unpacking their things because they unpack and put their things up for them before they get there. He said, Mom, I've never seen so many Hollisters and, and Nike and people with brand new. These kids were loaded. And uh, I said, I know that's the reason why you're getting a good salary. <laughs> and he did. Really, I was very proud of him. He's never been away from home for that long or that far. And he did. He put his heart into those children. And that's the reason why he called me. Because he was not going to come home from our surgery. You know, he said, and, and I told him, look, sweetheart, the kids are just going to be getting there. You know, there's a bonding time. Mom's going to be fine. I'm, I'm going to be good. And, you know, so the day before surgery, he called. He is in tears. Mom, I can't do it. I've got to see you. He said, what if something goes wrong? I said, no, we don't claim that. I said, God is good. And I said, either way, honey, you couldn't do anything. He said, no, Mom, you don't understand. I need to see you. I said, okay. Never been in an airport. Never been on an airplane. So we're trying to figure this thing out from Pennsylvania. And I'm laying there in Augusta. They're getting me ready to go in the OR. Plane has landed in Augusta. Everybody's rushing to get in there. The nurses are stalling, and I'm feeling terrible. I want to see my baby, but yet I don't want to hold up other people with their surgery. Now, we're in our mind that this surgery is five hours. That's what we were told about the ear surgery, five and a half hours. We didn't know that the ear, nose, and throat guys were involved. Uh, that was another nine hours, so a total of 14 and a half hours. So you can imagine my family was thinking five, and it turned to 14 and a half. But just as they were getting ready to take me on in, here comes that sweet little blue-eyed boy. He wanted to see his mommy. And his mommy wanted to see him. And I think about these kids that are out there, God, and nobody cares. And, and not to mention that before we went in, the doctor, the neurosurgeon, came in. He said, no, Miss Lil, I just want to go over a few things with you. I said, okay. He said, and we talked about the blindness. And I said, I looked over at my husband and I said, honey, did he say blindness? He said, uh-huh. I said, blindness? He said, yeah, you know, I told you there's a great chance with this being on that optic nerve, you could be blind. I said, I'll tell you one thing, Doc, I'm glad I think we've gone through them doors and you're getting out telling me that. Because <laughs> I had a good night's sleep last night. So, 
But then immediately your brain goes overflow, you know. So I'm so glad that I saw Josh. And then as I was going through those doors and I'm thinking, it's okay. I can still hold my grandbaby. I can feel my grandbabies. I can hear my grandbabies. I can talk to my grandbabies. So, Lord, it's okay. That part that has to go, we're, we're okay. So I'm just cheerleading myself as I go through those doors. And so when I come out of surgery and I'm laying there and I open my eyes, and the first thing out of my mouth is, I can see! And my husband says, You're alive! Forget the sight, you're alive! I'm like, Oh, yeah! You know, and when you just see family as we came together and as we loved on each other, and when I hear and see people that don't even care enough to check on loved ones, and we talk about checking on our neighbors who may be in need, um, train up a child. Train up a child. You've got to start loving them first. You've got to take care of them first. Because they're seeing what we're doing. They're seeing how we're living. They're seeing what the world is doing to them around them. My, my husband and I were the biggest babies. When we put them out for preschool for the first time, we sat across the street holding each other's hand and frozen and crying. Preschool. I'm like, there's so much more coming on, you know, that's going to be a lot worse than this. But that's how precious they were to us. We knew that now they weren't just ours. Now they were the world's too. And we trust that God's going to protect them and good people and bring good teachers. You know, folks are like, Sandy, you need to go over and train that teacher. You know, JT's got bad teacher. You need to get up there. Said, she said, scrimp, and she said, strawberry, and she said, scream. And I said, you know, my son's been going to school with all these kids all these years, and he knows what a screed is, he knows what a strawberry is, and he knows what a scrimp is. And I said, God put my son in her class, and that's where I want him to be. I said, because I trust that what God does with my child has a plan, and I'm not bigger than that plan, and I'm not going to make it right. Because one day, like now, he's married, has a beautiful wife, and that was another thing. At his wedding in August, when I went up to, to do the Mother of Son dance, you know, and um, I just was giddy, and I was just so happy, and, and he was like, oh, everybody was watching, I said, I'm here, I'm here, we are celebrating your wedding, and Mommy's here, and it's a great day, and it's beautiful, and you're beautiful, and I'm just, you know, and so then Emily, our Emily, comes up with us, and then my husband, and we're just all up there dancing, and uh, and my son Josh, and it, it was beautiful. But guys, you know how many aren't going to have that? Nobody cares. Nobody. A little guy gets a ribbon for having straight A's, or maybe he just got a ribbon because this week he didn't bite anybody, you know? Right? But there's nobody to tell him. There are so many young people going through this world that nobody trained up. Nobody's ever told them they did anything good. You know, you can't beat down. Um, I like this saying that I heard, actually I heard it on the radio this morning. It says, make the most of the best and the least of the worst. You know, we need to play up on our kids' dreams. 
Not every child is made out for, for uh, college. Not every child is made out for sports. Not every child is made out for music. I'm with the whole gamut. I play softball. I did cheerleading. Y'all can tell this little country girl, don't need to be no cheerleader. <laughs> I was coordinated, but I'd rather be out playing football. You know, but I love music. I played the clarinet for six years and loved music and fell in love with it. Just, you know, like last night, I was listening, even though the head banging was going on, I was listening to the, the strings. I was listening to the horns. And I was like, oh, how beautiful. Loud, but beautiful. But, guys, we have so many kids that will never be able to branch out like that, never to grow like that. They don't even have someone that cares enough to change the time. And so I, I listened last night as they told all the orphans and trying to get Holt International was getting people to adopt. And guys, the, the sex trafficking of children is deplorable. Our little fellas, I mean, they're overseas and being shipped over here and abused and used. Some of them are buried in mass graves that we don't even know about. And I'm like, why does God think about how we're training, how we're using, how we're abusing our children? And I know this church, the people here looking at your faces, we take them all in if we could. We would take them all in, but we can't. But by these, we can take a sack lunch over to the trailer bar. And we can give them Christmas gifts. And we can help their families. And we can reach out right here. We can make a difference. Because one of the children that we served um, for about four years, and I think I told y'all about him, and we found out later that he was being abused by his stepfather. And I remember my heart was just wrenched. He was special needs. Why would you do that? Why would you take advantage of a child that is struggling to comprehend each day? And it was heartbreaking. And but God, he got adopted. He's doing well now. God has a plan. But when we talk about training up a child in the way he or she should go, we've got to be that example. We've got to reach in, God. We've got to show our children so that they can reverberate. It can be a domino effect. It can affect other people. We have to be aware that we're not in this little safe cocoon we talked about. There are people hurting of all ages. And then it says, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Guys, we've got to make a difference where we can and when we can. And one of the biggest places that we can make the biggest difference. It's just to love a child that is unloved. Just to pray for a family that is struggling. And we have, it's terrible, but we have plenty right here in Walt County that need us and need us bad. But you got to do your part. Be proud of yourself. Be thankful for the opportunities we have. And pray for those that we can. Because God has a big picture. He reaches all miles. He's better than Santa Claus. He can get everywhere. And, um, but I know that my children are precious to me and dear to me. And when I think about that, 
most of the children that we're seeing aren't even a drop in the bucket. And they even get the word love ever wicked in front of us. So today, if I can leave you with anything, love your children harder. Love your children longer. And if you see someone else's child that just needs a hug or just, just an encouraging word, because children, when you hear them laughing and playing, and yeah, maybe right in the middle of my sermon, those are sounds of joy. That is the sound of our future. So reach in and rejoice with them. Um, don't make too much noise during the sermon with them. But, but that's what it means, loving and relating to care. You know, because you never know who's hurting. You never know who just needs a time for so today I'll leave you with that. Before we can train up a child, we gotta love that child. Thank you.